Hey, I'm Tom Power. I'm the host of the podcast Q with Tom Power, where we talk to all kinds of artists, actors, writers, musicians, painters. We had Green Day on the other day talking about their huge album, American Idiot. Nicole Byer came on to talk about ADHD and comedy. And then there's Dan Levy. While we were talking about filmmaking, we talked about his insecurities. I sometimes feel like I have this desire to, like, perform, to be a version of myself that people might like. Listen to Q with Tom Power to hear your favorite artists as they truly are wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. I see parents, you know, walking with their little kids and with their strollers. And I'm like, how do you afford that? <laughs> like, you know, I don't want to say like, you're so lucky, but I'm just so curious. Like, you know, they look my age. I'm just like, what, what are you doing? <laughs> Asia Ruhala Guzman is 29 years old and lives in Vancouver. She wants to have kids, but doesn't know how most people can afford to start a family. It is kind of this like curiosity and this wonder, like and it's something that I almost see as like a wow, you know, but it's normal. Having kids and having a family is normal. But like when you're in Vancouver, you're in Toronto, it's like a, like a shock almost. It's like how? <laughs> Turns out that Asia isn't alone. New research shows that many young adults are delaying parenthood or choosing not to have kids at all because of the cost. And it's not just in big cities like Toronto and Vancouver. The Current's producer, Kate Cornick, looked into these very personal decisions and the long-term implications, especially at a time when Canada's fertility rate has sunk to an all-time low. She's with me in studio. Kate, good morning. Good morning, Matt. Why did you want to look into this? Well, I'm at the age where a lot of my friends are talking about wanting to have kids. And one thing that always comes up is whether they can afford to. Even when I pitched this story, mm -hmm. the producers around my age said in our meeting that it's been the focus of so many of their conversations too, whether they can afford to have kids at all, or how long do they need to delay having kids, and what kind of life can they give a kid in the middle of an affordability and housing crisis? Tell us a bit more about Asia that we heard from at the very beginning. Why does she feel like she can't afford to have children now? Asia and her partner are both 29. They rent a one-bedroom apartment for $2,700 a month. Her partner works in TV production, she works in healthcare, and together they make around $180,000 a year. Now, I know that might seem like a lot, but it doesn't feel like that to them. Hmm. When you crunch the numbers, and yes, we do make a good living, but somehow it just seems like it's never, like it's, it's just not enough. You know, you obviously want to buy and have the best things and, you know, be the best kind of parent and put money aside for education in the future. All this stuff costs money. She says that if they had a child, they need to rent a bigger home, likely a two-bedroom apartment, costing them between $3,500 and $4,000 in today's market. And then there's the cost of daycare, food, clothing. The, the list goes on. And neither of them have family support in the city. Her family is in Ontario and his is in Ireland. So factoring all that together, is this a forever decision not to have children? Could she change her mind down the road? Asia said the likelihood of having kids in the future is incredibly slim. Those are her words. She says realistically they'd have to move closer to family or to a less expensive city. But even that comes with implications for work. Mm -hmm. But she's thinking there's no way this will be possible unless something truly life-changing happens. Unrealistic, we win the lottery. And we just have all this income and all this money at our disposal to afford a bigger place, to afford daycare and all the things. But I, that's, that's probably unlikely. So, <laughs> Asia did tell me if they were to get pregnant that they would make it work, but it would be really tough. They'd go from feeling comfortable to feeling like they were struggling and having to pinch pennies. Kids are expensive. 
he yes. says, from some experience. <laughs> Do we know how expensive, how much does it cost to raise a child today? Almost $300,000 per kid. Hmm. Uh, Statistics Canada released a report this September that showed middle-income parents with two kids spent an average of $293,000 from birth to the age of 17. That's a lot of money. Yeah, and that's not including the cost of post-secondary education. StatsCan also found that 38% of Canadians ages 20 to 29 say they wouldn't be able to afford to have a child in the next three years. So what do we know given that? What do we know broadly about how young Canadians feel about having children? Karen Lawson studies the reproductive decision-making. She's the head of the University of Saskatchewan's Department of Psychology and Health Studies. Now, look, I'm about to give you a lot of numbers, mm -hmm. but they're important to understand what's going on here. So at the end of 2022, she conducted a national survey of 1,000 Canadians and heard from people across the country from the ages of 18 to 35 about their plans around having kids. Mm -hmm. Of that sample, one-third said they do not want to have any children ever. Now compare that to 20 years ago when it was less than 20%. And this was true for women and men from all regions, from all income and education levels. Now, 25% had decided to wait till they were at least the age of 35, mostly because of the cost. It was clear that they definitely wanted children, but right now wasn't a right time for them. Uh, the financial costs and the costs of housing and financial instability, it was a much bigger factor for them than it was for individuals who were deciding not to have children. Especially women within this group really relayed the belief that delaying or deferring parenthood would facilitate their ability to achieve financial goals and career stability. Now, Karen said that for people choosing not to have kids at all, it is a complicated decision, especially for this generation. These individuals um, had already achieved their educational relationship and housing goals. Uh, they were more likely to have already achieved those milestones, which kind of seems a little bit counterintuitive because you'd think that they would be more ready or likely to uh, embark on having children. So it kind of suggests that they've kind of undergone a cost-benefit analysis and they've made a conscious decision that parenting isn't for them. So in other words, costs are higher than ever and the perceived rewards of parenting seem a lot lower to us. One thing that became really clear that I wasn't necessarily expecting is that the costs were not only financial costs, but they're also weighing in the more personal costs that are associated with parenting, especially under the model of more intensive parenting that our society has been moving towards in the past few decades. They were finding ways to find fulfillment elsewhere. They spoke a lot about nurturing their nieces and nephews or their friends' children. Uh, they talked about ability to travel. They talked about engaging in other leisure activities or things they really enjoyed. And uh, this kind of surprised me a little bit, although maybe it shouldn't have, but a fair number of them uh, spoke about the role of animal companions, especially dogs in their lives. I mean, I don't have a dog, but I know people who do, and they treat them like a baby. Karen also told me that climate change... <laughs> That's another matter, but continue. <laughs> Karen also told me that climate change is playing a role in these decisions, that people were worried about the world they'd be bringing kids into. 
There's a lot of studies that back that up, showing that climate change can be a key factor in the decision to not have kids. Hello, I'm Jess Milton. For 15 years, I produced The Vinyl Cafe with the late, great Stuart McLean. Every week, more than 2 million people tuned in to hear funny, fictional, feel-good stories about Dave and his family. We're excited to welcome you back to the warm and welcoming world of The Vinyl Cafe with our new podcast, Backstage at The Vinyl Cafe. Each week, we'll share two hilarious stories by Stuart, and for the first time ever, I'll tell you what it was like behind the scenes. Subscribe for free wherever you get your podcasts. So you spoke with other women about the decisions they're making. What, what did you hear? I spoke with Madeline Gilday in Dartmouth, Nova Scotia. She really wants kids, but says it feels like an impossible dream. She's 30. Her partner's 37. They live in a two-bedroom rental that costs them $1,500 a month. Now, they both work in healthcare. She's a mental health peer support worker, and her partner is a hospital porter. Right now, between the two of them, they make about $52 an hour. And for them, having kids all comes down to money. If we had the money, then we could, I guess we probably would start trying to get pregnant immediately. Yeah, that's, that's really the only thing that's holding us back. We're left in this sort of limbo of, do we risk it and try to have children now? Or do we wait and see if the economy gets a little bit better? It's been really hard for her to come to terms with the fact that they can't afford a child. I'm frustrated because I feel as though, like when I was growing up, the the whole idea that was put in our heads by our parents and our teachers was, you know, you do well in school, then you go into university and you graduate, and you get a good paying job, you get a house, you get married, you have kids. Like that was supposed to be the life plan that we were supposed to follow. And I feel like I've tried my absolute best and hit all of those milestones, but not the one that I really wanted to hit, which was to have the children at the end of it. So I feel frustrated by not being able to do more. And I feel a lot of grief for the fact that it really is looking like it'll just be us. To me, the absence of having children in my life makes me feel as though I'm not really living. I'm just sort of existing. Is it possible to have grief for something that you haven't had? It's interesting. She uses the word grief a couple of times. I mean, that speaks to, and I've heard people say the same thing. It just speaks to how hard that is. Yeah, Matt. And what I find truly heartbreaking is that Madeline had a miscarriage in her 20s. And that was a time when she was more financially insecure. But now she looks back on that possible pregnancy with almost this deeper sense of loss. There's no way I would have been able to support a baby then. So I look at that at least. But, you know, I think honestly, I might have had a better chance of... um, Supporting a child in that economy um, seven years ago than now, (laughs) somewhat ironic. So do they, she and her partner, do they have any sense of optimism that, that their financial situation would change such that they would be in a better position to have children? They're working on that. So her partner is currently in school to try to get a higher paying job at the hospital fixing medical machines. And Madeline is hoping that when he's done his course, that things will change. But we're about four years away from that. So it's it's really kind of down to the wire, I guess. Like we might be able to swing it at that age, but he'll be what? In his early 40s, I'll be 35-ish and we won't have the money to pay for anything like IVF treatment. So yeah, it's it feels like a sort of do it now or we won't be able to do it at all or we might be able to risk it a little bit later. That risk is something that Madeline has thought a lot about mm. and it's a consequence of delaying parenthood. Fertility starts to decline for women from about the age of 30. And at 35, it falls even more. 
By 40, women have about a two in five chance of becoming pregnant, even with interventions like IVF. And so that's going to be on the minds of, of a lot of people who we've heard from who are delaying having children. Yeah, it is. And it means that people who are having kids aren't having as many as they want. And this is called a fertility gap. Here's Karen Lawson again. The biological constraints on, on female fertility means that delaying also has the potential repercussion of, of women are going to have fewer children than they initially wanted. That's because they're trying to have their children within a shorter reproductive window. Uh, and of course, the fertility complications that come with age as well. And consistently, surveys of Canadians show that the majority of couples desire 2.2 children. That, that's the average desired family size for Canadians. So how does that desire compare to what's actually happening? Canada's fertility rate hit a record low. It's down to 1.33 kids per woman. Hmm. Ten years ago, it was 1.63. That's a pretty steep decline in such a short period. Canada is actually close to joining a club it might not want to be in. Uh, the lowest low group of countries, those with fertility rates of 1.3 or less. Those are countries like South Korea, Singapore, Spain, Japan. I spoke to Don Kerr. He's a demographer at King's College at Western University. He was really struck by these low numbers and wants more people to pay attention to this. I mean, in British Columbia, it's down to 1.1. In places like Nova Scotia and Newfoundland and PEI, it's down to 1.2. In, in fact, in eight of 10 provinces, we're at an all-time low. So this really is a cross-country phenomena. And Canada is far below the no-migration population replacement level of 2.1 children per woman. That's how many kids need to be born each year to replace the people who are dying. Of course, that's if there is no immigration. There is immigration. How does immigration factor into this? Yeah, immigration hit an all-time high last year, the same time as we're seeing this record low fertility rate. As of June, Canada's population was at about 40.1 million, up by over 1.2 million from the year previous. So we aren't on the edge of population decline by any means. Mm -hmm. But Donker says we can't rely on immigration to be an answer to our sinking fertility because new Canadians often face obstacles around cost too. When immigrants come to Canada, sometimes it's a real challenge to establish themselves economically, right? To get a good job and to buy a home and so on and so forth. As new entrants into the labor force, it often involves a bit of sacrifice. And quite often you'll have young adults coming into Canada and, and no, they're not having kids. They're putting it off like other Canadian couples, right? They're putting it off until economic circumstances improve. There's also the reality that more immigrants than ever are leaving Canada. Many point to the high cost of living here. A conference board of Canada report warns that if this trend continues, it could undermine Canada's strategy to use immigration to drive population growth. I mean, this is obviously taking a personal toll on those who want to have children, that they can't afford to do this. But broadly, why does it matter if this country's fertility rate is so low? Both Karen Lawson and Don Kerr explained that a low fertility rate truly affects us all, right? An aging population puts stress on the Canadian economy, on the labor market, and on our tax base. So when that worker-to-retiree ratio tips, you have fewer people paying into things like pension systems and public health care. And we really do rely on the next generation of workers to keep our national programs funded and running. So is there anything that can or should be done to address the falling fertility rate? 
There is an ongoing discussion around whether governments should financially incentivize Canadians to have kids. But historically, tax credits have a short-term impact. A number of provinces have recently implemented the federal government's $10 a day daycare program, although access isn't universal and costs aren't all the way down. But at the moment, it's too soon to say whether affordable childcare could make a difference. That said, longer parental leave can be helpful. Here's Don again. When women historically have entered in the labor market, they're sort of saddled with this double burden, the second shift, whereby they have taken on primary responsibility for childcare. And you can understandably see women avoiding maybe marriage or, or childbearing, if that's the reality, who wants to work around the clock. It's interesting to see that in Europe, places like Iceland, where there's a lot of gender equity, uh, that the birth rate is quite a bit higher. It's up at around 1.8 in uh, Iceland right now. It's, it's interesting to see. So, I mean, if men were more involved in childbearing, I, I could, in Canada, for example, I could see perhaps the birth rate rebounding somewhat as a result. There's also a whole other argument around climate change and population, which we spoke about a little earlier, mm -hmm. that fewer people means fewer consumers, which could help the planet. So there isn't a consensus that falling fertility rates are necessarily a bad thing. But Don Kerr says that we need to think about the consequences that are ahead if Canada's fertility rate keeps falling. I would expect that into the future, we're going to witness more social isolation as a result, as our family networks are smaller and smaller and smaller, and they're not necessarily to help us as we get older. And when you speak of elder care, it's really important. I mean, as it stands now, if you look at many of our long-term care centers, they're overstretched. They don't have enough PSW workers and so on. Family is key in providing emotional support and support on a day-to-day basis when it comes to all sorts of, you know daily activities, right? So we don't have that. We have to prepare for an alternative. Can the state replace that? Maybe, but uh, it, it would be a challenge. Those are the big picture issues. Mm -hmm. There is at the heart of this, the real personal cost that you highlighted with Asia and with Madeline. Yeah, for sure. I've talked to a number of people in the past month about this. There's a lot of sadness and even anger that the cost of having a kid is so high today, that the affordability crisis is crushing their dreams of the family they hope to have. But there is one silver lining. There is this community of people who are navigating this together, this realization that their future might not include kids even if they want them. You know, Asia said something to me at the end of our pretty bleak conversation that's really stayed with me. So many women like us are in the exact same position. We're in that late 20s, early 30s. You know, we have good jobs, you know. So it, it's nice to hear from you and I have conversations with my girlfriends as well. We're not alone. It's not just an us thing. It is nice to hear from you and to talk about it and to raise awareness because it's not talked about enough. Kate, thank you very much. Thank you, Matt. Kate Cornick is a producer here at The Current. This is, as you've heard, a deeply personal issue, but it's clearly not an uncommon one. If you have decided to delay having kids, or perhaps not have kids at all because of the cost, we're living through this cost of living crisis. We just spent a bunch of time earlier this morning speaking with the uh, finance minister, the deputy prime minister, about that cost of living crisis. Um, we'd love to hear from you. How are you making those decisions, and what has that decision meant for you. You can email us thecurrent at cbc.ca or you can record a voice memo on your phone and then send it to us. Email us thecurrent at cbc.ca. For more CBC podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.